Welcome to another edition of the Charity Chat podcast. I'm Osman Mughal and I'm delighted to be joined today by my co-host Veronica Banford-Dean, who's Managing Director at Work for Good. And recently, Veronica has been named in the top 100 women in social enterprise by NatWest and Pioneers Post. Today, we both will be speaking with the inspirational Nikki Wrench, Community Manager at the RNLI, Founder of Furloughed Fundraisers Chat, Trustee at Windmills Acute Bereavement Support and All-Round Fundraising Superstar. In this episode, we have an in-depth discussion on a wide variety of topics, including Nikki's journey into the world of fundraising, the importance of empathy and connecting to your cause, imposter syndrome, mentoring and leadership, equity, diversity and inclusion, and Nikki's views on the sector. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes that everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good through their fundraising platform, offering charities a way to engage and work with small businesses who want to make an impact. They have recently been named as one of the top 100 companies to work for in the UK, according to Escape the City. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. And here's our conversation with Nikki. Hi, Nikki. So lovely to um, have you on the podcast today. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. And thank you for, for asking me to come and speak to you. It was um, it was a lovely message to get when you reached out. So yeah, thank you ever so much. Oh, you're welcome. Well, Usman and I are over the moon that uh, you said yes, number one, and two, that it's uh, taking place today. Um, as we quickly, we quickly spoke about just before the podcast, I was, I was busy beavering away trying to find you on another podcast because um, I've been keeping, keeping tabs on you for a little while as, you know, I see, I see you as a, a, a very kind of influential person uh, amongst fundraisers and within the charity sector and I know I think we're going to have a little chat about kind of what you've done over over the last few years but I do see you as, as a role model and a very uh, influential figure to kind of, uh, younger fundraisers and older ones and people who've been in and out of the sector and uh, actually we were just saying how opportune it was that you decided to say yes uh, so we feel very honoured so thank you so much. Yeah like, like I say it's, um, it's my pleasure completely and um, yes I'm sure we I'm sure you'll have floods of people wanting to come and chat to you. <laughs> fingers crossed but for now today is all about you so we would really love to learn a little bit more about you and, and all the listeners to hear as well um you know where where your life's taken you how did you come to be in the charity sector and just a little bit more about about you what gets you out of bed in the morning yeah that I mean that, that to me is a, a great thing to be able to come and and chat about you know I think if you were asking me really technical questions I'd be a bit flustered um <laughs> but if I'm just talking about you know life in general that's great um and you don't really get the opportunity to have those conversations very often most of the time you know pod chats are about you know the um the serious stuff the work stuff um but we forget a lot of the time I think to ask people how they came about to to get in there in the first place so yeah I'm 
you know, I'm very open. I'm happy for you to ask me any questions. Um, I don't get offended easily. And um, yeah, any questions that you want to just dig a little bit more into, I'm always happy for you to, to do that. Um, so yeah, so as, do you want me to start from the beginning? Do you want me to, yeah? Nikki, you, you start from where you feel the most comfortable, wherever you like. I would love to hear from the beginning, but if you want to start at the middle and backpedal, then you do that, <laughs> or you can start from yesterday. You do whatever you want. Yesterday was a bit boring, so we'll go back to the beginning. Okay. Um, yeah, I suppose for me, I, I I hear a lot that people talk about how they fell into fundraising mm. um, and, and it was, you know, they were doing something else and it was just something that they fell into. Whereas for me, um, it wasn't as much of a, a fall. Um, I, uh, where are we now? What's the year? 2022. God, I feel old. Um, when I was 15, so we're going back to like 1999, um, I, I was quite poorly. I, um, I was diagnosed with uh, something called acute myeloid leukaemia. So I, it was the day I should have started year 11 at school. And um, naughtily, I'd gone on holiday to France with my mum and dad and I was actually missing the first few days of year 11. Um, so we were in France. I hadn't been too well before we went. Um, and you know from me not feeling too well and finding a few spots um mum and dad took me to the hospital that's the only place we could find someone that spoke english and um you know long story short i was i was diagnosed there in france and um it was you know for a 15 year old girl all i was thinking at the time was how embarrassed i was that i've just got in my costume um because i all i wanted to do was get back to the pool so I'd got, you know, I'd been taken into the hospital in my costume and I was so embarrassed because the doctor looked like, do you remember Saved by the Bell or am I that old? Okay. Um, is it Slater? Yeah. The doctor looked like Slater. And I remember feeling so embarrassed that there was me in my costume sitting in front, like 15-year-old me sitting in front of this Slater-looking doctor and me thinking, this is just the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. That is what I was worried about there and then in the hospital. Of course, of course. Into perspective when you look back. Um, so yeah, so I was um, I was diagnosed there. I came, um, I got flown back, uh, and I spent a good three months in Birmingham Children's Hospital. Um, absolutely amazing support there. You know the things we saw there from from the team. Um, it was so inspiring to watch the nurses, um, the doctors, every single team that, you know, we were, we, we were put in front of. But then also those other people that came in, you know, the Macmillan nurse that knocked on the door, um, Click Sergeant at the time, they were two different charities. They hadn't merged yet. Um, so we had people from, from each coming to us. So it was there and then really that I got my first sort of glimpse into charity and what charities did. Um, I remember my dad explaining to me that these people weren't part of the hospital, you know, they had to be funded for. And it was then that my brain got ticking. Um, after a few months in Birmingham Children's, we were moved over to Stoke. So I was the first child in Stoke to have had that kind of leukaemia. So it took a little while for the team there to sort of be trained um, and, and, you know, be up to speed and feel confident that they'd be able to look after me there. And then I moved over to Stoke and spent 
approximately another four or five months in the hospital there as an inpatient um, because of the type that I had it wasn't one that you could have treatment and go home um, so again there you know we I was on just a ward in the children's hospital um, they did have quite a new oncology section there but it was just a room uh, with a, a sofa and a bed in um, and but I got to see you know the the things that the the charities were doing there and how they supported that oncology section of the the ward um, and again I just found it really quite inspiring and then I was I'd still very much count myself extremely lucky that I um I, I went into remission so um you know the treatment had worked and one of the things that you know we talked about before leaving the hospital was that the whole journey as as wonderful as um the support we'd been given one thing we hadn't had was sort of somebody at our sort of level that could explain things to us you know the nurses and the doctors were fantastic but sometimes you just want somebody that speaks your language to just say this is what's wrong with you this is what they're going to do um so th there was also no one there to sort of introduce us to other people on the ward that had similar you know they were there for oncology reasons as well so before we'd even left myself and my mum decided that we were going to make a little newsletter for the ward that would go into this oncology room um and it would you know give people different phone numbers for all the different charities that could help them um and we were going to act as like the middlemen between the oncology ward and the new people that came in and we'd introduce people to each other and that's where it started for us and gradually um my first fundraising thing i ever did i needed to raise the money to pay for the ink in the printer to produce this newsletter so that is where my fundraising life started um so yeah i i i started fundraising for that I, we um we put a bit of a party on once i was in remission we put a bit of a party on and the money that we raised it paid for new tvs in the the rooms at the ward um and then we used some of the money to pay for the ink to to produce this newsletter and that's where nikki fundraiser um started really and then I, over the years, I, I just fell in love with fundraising and it, it made me feel so good, not only to be able to give something back and do things for other people, but I really, really loved the act of fundraising. Um, and I I got involved with, with different charities in different ways. So I'd, I had a wish from Make-A-Wish. Um, so I got involved with them and did some fundraising. I um, helped the Race for Life team with cancer research. Me and when I had my daughter, eventually she came with me as well. And I used to drag her around the town dressed all in pink. Um, so, yeah, I just got more and more involved until I finally felt that I had the confidence, I suppose, to put myself forward for an actual job in fundraising. I, I was working in a call centre because it suited my life with my daughter um, and my husband. and eventually the local children's hospice who had done a little bit of volunteering for um they had a job come up as like a junior fundraiser so I applied thinking I absolutely won't get it because I've never done it as a job but at least I've started the process of, of applying for jobs um and they offered me the job and I'm still gobsmacked to this day that they offered me the job 
um to be honest. I'm going to interrupt you there Nikki I'm no. not I'm <laughs> not at all not from what you've said so far <laughs> so yeah so that's that's how it started so I didn't fall into fundraising I very much sort of created um a, a fundraising path for myself. Um, I've dragged everybody that I know into it as well. My poor husband, the amount of events he's had to support me on holding things up, getting generators to work, you know, everything. Um, so yeah, I I knew I think that I just that's what I wanted to do. And I'd been very limited because I'd missed that last year of school. Um, I, my school only allowed me to um take four GCSEs because it didn't look good for them if I took more and then I failed um so I took I took the four that they allowed me to do but obviously that really restricted me then on what I could do at college or if I even wanted to go further so I think it just in in my head it just worked out because I hadn't got the qualifications to go and do what I'd always thought I would want to do which would be a teacher which I could not imagine me doing now um so I just like I say I just paved I paved my own way really so yeah not not a fall more of a charge <laughs> more of a charge I love that I love that and also just I suppose thinking about going back to when you were 15 or perhaps you were sort of 16 at that point just wanting to do something for others I suppose that was it must have been quite a pivotal moment for you in your in your in your lifetime I think it was and I think I'd never I don't think I'd ever done any sort of charity work or fundraising we hadn't really had anything happen you know we were very lucky that we hadn't really had anything happen where we'd interacted with any sort of charity prior to that so I think that a lot of the time is the case isn't it unless you've been affected you tend to live in this blissful ignorance um I actually remember looking back now like a few months before getting diagnosed um the Birmingham Children's Hospital had got a program on TV where they were going around the wards. I know they continued with it over the years. And I remember watching one of them and thinking, oh, you know, look at these poor children. They look so poorly. Um, and even then, you know, it was a, this is really sad. But it didn't make me do anything. You know, I, I just went away back to my blissfully ignorant life. Um, so, yeah, just seeing what everyone else had had to do not just for me, but for my family and mostly, you know, the support that they got, especially. Um, it just made me want to go, right, we need to make sure that everyone else gets this as well um, and, and, and more. And you, you clearly did and you clearly set a, a wonderful precedent for not only those, those families that you helped and you helped signpost, but also for you and your future and for all those other fundraisers and and um, beneficiaries you've helped over the years as well yeah it was um when I look back now it's sort of what I've done as a volunteer and um working in in the charity sector it is something that you know I feel very proud of and that you know that's not a restricted to me thing I think every fundraiser should take stock sometimes and just stop and look back and think what's the impact that I've had and it didn't really hit me until I'd been at the children's hospice for about five years when a role came up at Make-A-Wish UK and I never thought I'd leave the hospice I loved my job I loved my team I loved the families um 
but when the job came up with make a wish it was like I can't not go for this I have that this link there um and when I came to leave the hospice to go to make a wish we uh, had like a bit of a, a, a dinner together and my um, income generation manager at the time she stood up and, and did a bit of a speech and she said that within my five years there um she'd done some calculating and worked out that I'd individually been responsible for bringing in over a million pounds in that five years that was just a wow moment you know a million pounds I've personally helped to well I'm sure I'd helped to raise a lot more but you know she could attribute a million pounds of the money that had come in just to, to the fundraising that I'd done so that when you you know I, I know fundraisers love a target but I'd never really been target focused so to, to see it quantified like that was quite a big deal um but yeah I do think it's something we should all do we should we should stop take stock and, and look at the impact we're having because you know it's huge and on that, Nikki, you touched on your experience growing up and then joining the charity sector and becoming a fundraiser. And as a fundraiser myself, it's so important to have that connection to whatever cause you're fundraising for. I wondered how important empathy was for you as a fundraiser, given your experiences, um, and then you moved into fundraising because you felt passionately about a cause and I think something like empathy is so undervalued across society and I just wondered from your perspective how important was empathy and how important is empathy for fundraisers and how that connection to the cause? I honestly think that if you haven't got empathy if you don't have a um, a connection to the cause you're working for and by that I don't mean that you need to have been a beneficiary but you've got to really care about it and then share that empathy with the people that you're you're working with, the beneficiaries, but also your your partners, the people that you're fundraising with. There's just no point doing doing it, in my opinion. I think if you're here and you don't have that, you're really in the wrong line of work. Um, it it was key for me, you know, even. You know, I worked at a children's hospice. I personally didn't use a children's hospice when I was ill. Um, a lot of the children around me um, used different ones, not the one that I worked at. Um, but even going there, I could empathise with those families because the biggest thing that I empathised with actually was um, the siblings. So a lot of what we did at the children's hospice was linked to, um, you know, making sure the siblings had time with their parents making sure that the siblings felt like part of the spotlight for you know they didn't get that very often um and I could really empathize with that because I watched what my sister went through and we our relationship was definitely strained by the fact that I got ill uh, even though you know she would never have said this is your fault but as a result of that you know my parents spent every night at the hospital with me um, and this was you know I was an inpatient for seven or eight months so she had a real you know she was really impacted by that so going to the hospice I looked at these siblings and saw my sister um, and especially now that I was older and we'd had open conversations and I'd, I understood really what she'd gone through in that you know almost a year that, that it, she'd been affected I was looking at them as though they were her. So when I did go out and I spoke to people, 
I would talk obviously about the children that use the hospice, but the majority of what I talked about was was the siblings and the impact that it had on them. And I don't think I would have done that if I hadn't empathised with with them. Same with the parents. Same with you know waking at Make a Wish. Um, you know, seeing my parents and the parents that I was speaking to. Um, you've 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 got to have it. And like I say, you don't you don't need to have used a charity in order to be able to empathize with the beneficiaries that use it now but you've got to have that as a as a core skill of your own um to to really succeed as a fundraiser in my opinion i'm happy to be proven wrong <laughs> i absolutely agree it, and, and you're absolutely right as we have to have lived experience of going through particular um challenges but certainly having a connection to the cause and being able to speak to a wide variety of stakeholders. Um, and therefore, you're able to represent and become an ambassador for your charity far more effectively. If you've proven in your experience that raising uh, one million pounds and that being directly attributed to you is congratulations, because that's a phenomenal achievement. Mm-hmm. And it's it just goes to show that there are so many great fundraisers across this sector that sometimes are not highlighted. I completely agree with that. And what I would love to see, um, you know, when we, we go to the conferences and we we do things like this, I'd love to see people that, um, you know, aren't from huge charities um, and, and haven't been part of these massive campaigns, because actually there are people working at, you know, your local charities that have raised a, a staggering sum of money or had phenomenally um, successful events and things happen. I'd love to hear more from those people. And I'm working with the um, CIOF West Midlands Committee at the moment to put the conference on in September or October, September or October. I should know the date really. Um, so I'm working with them at the moment. And when we've gone out looking for speakers, uh, we had a bit of a, a brainstorming session beforehand. And my my point there was, I really want this now to be diverse in every way possible and including in that diversity is I want to hear people speak that aren't the people that we normally bring out and we always see. I, I just want to hear from other people who are doing wonderful things and are passionate. That's what I, I want to say, the people that I want to hear from, passionate people that love what they do and that can come in and inspire and motivate a room of people and they leave feeling like they want to burst because they've enjoyed that experience so much. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of fundraisers out there that are overlooked um, for, for a variety of reasons. And I think we've got so much to learn from reaching out to people and, and just asking them to to come and speak to us, you know, whether that be publicly or just, you know, that one-to-one thing. I do a, I do a lot of peer-to-peer networking, um, usually just in my lunch break. Um, but it's for that reason I want to learn about people. I want to see what they do. I've taken advantage of um, Kevin Delaney set up a thing called Coffee with Fundraisers. And, you know, you register, he pairs people up together and then you put a date in the diary and you, you sit and you have a virtual coffee with them. And I've met so many fantastic people from um, all across the UK, Ireland um, and people that I would never have met otherwise. Uh, but I will, I come away from those meetings again feeling really motivated really passionate you know there's people that might have just started their journey there'll be people there that have been doing this for many many years but I've, I learn from all of them and I love speaking to all of them so 
there's so many underutilized um, resources out there that I think we can use and, and take advantage of as fundraisers. can see husband and I have both written down that coffee with fundraisers we must oh, look at it afterwards it sounds fabulous the details having's absolutely um fantastic and it's a, it's a brilliant resource it's put together but you know something that I love and I will always encourage this if anyone ever wants to talk to me just drop me a message like I I spent my lunch break today chatting to somebody that isn't in the third sector um, they are really interested in getting a community fundraising role and moving into the third sector. So they've started um, sort of looking, you know, following people on Twitter and having a look on LinkedIn. And she contacted me and said, I wondered if you'd have any time to chat to me about how I can get into the third sector. And we've had a great lunch break today. You know, we've, we've had a really great time. And I'm going to be, you know, helping and support her through, you know, until she can get a role. So... I would always encourage anybody reach out, chat to fundraisers. We love talking. That's Nikki. That's your lunch breaks now gone for at least the next three hundred and sixty-five days. Um, and I know I can advocate because I remember reaching out to you back in twenty twenty to ask for twenty minutes, and we had a lovely lunchtime chat. And you gave it within. I think you were back in responding to me between about 10 minutes. I don't want to hold you accountable for that one, but, uh, but there, are, there are a couple of things on. Oh, I, I've got so many questions, actually, and I want to ask you, Nikki, totally not pre-planned, but... Let's go I for knew, it. I knew this was going to happen. Um, two questions. Uh, firstly, I know recently you have uh, changed roles to the RNLI. So uh -huh. my question is, um, how do you empathise with the RNLI and what is your connection there? And then I'm going to save my other questions. And Okay. <laughs> so the RNLI, you know, and this is why when I say about having that connection, you don't need to have been, I certainly have never been saved at sea. Mm -hmm. um, I barely step in the sea, so it, it's never going to happen. <laughs> um, but what I, I have done is I've grown up going on family holidays in the UK. We, we didn't do abroad holidays. My dad had a crazy idea once that he would um, take our caravan to Italy and we drove to Italy and that was an experience. But um, other than that, we we travel in the UK. Um, everywhere we've been as, you know, the little seaside towns, the RNLI has been there. Um, we've seen them, we've grown up with them. We've seen them out on shouts um, and you can't not be inspired by what they do. As a fundraiser, um, separate to, you know, me seeing them uh, in my personal life, but in my professional life, the RNLI has been the charity that I have always looked at as like that gold standard. Um, you know, they their communications are brilliant. Their um, vision is, is amazing. And I, I had so much respect for the organisation a few years ago when um, they were getting dragged through the press because um, they they spend so much of their funding um, supporting people in other countries so that people don't drown in, in other countries. How dare they? Um, and I remember watching it and thinking that's a charity that knows what it does and isn't ashamed to tell people. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a, I had an awful lot of respect for the organisation. Um, I was at Make-A-Wish 
until um, beginning of last year and absolutely loved the charity, the people I worked with, the, the families. However, during COVID, we'd um, had to have a restructure as many charities did. Um, and when uh, during that restructure, unfortunately, we decided to not have a community team anymore. Um, so I did apply for, for another role and I was successful and I got the role of uh, Wish Family Engagement Manager, which would be a wonderful role for someone that doesn't want to be out and about speaking to people, seeing their volunteers out on the ground. You know, it was very much a um, desk-based strategy. Um, you know, I'm sure at some point, once all of that stuff had been done, it would it might have been out and about a bit more. But for me, I, I'm just not a sit at my desk and, and type away person. So I, I had to sort of weigh up that I love the organisation and the people that I work with and its its vision and its mission. But this is me inherently. I'm a community fundraiser. I love being out in the community. I know at this point in my career, I probably should have applied for a load of promotions and be doing something else. But you know what? I love what I do and I'm all right with that. Um, so I had to weigh the two up. And um, ultimately, I decided that that what made me extremely happy was being a fundraiser. Um, so I knew that I would never leave Make-A-Wish to just go anywhere. It had to be a charity that I felt that connection to because I knew that I wouldn't do that role justice if I wasn't passionate about it and if I didn't believe in what they did. So uh, I did spend a lot of time looking at different roles and then it just so happened that one day this role for the RNLI popped up and I looked at it and thought that that's me. That's me in a job description. Um, and I got very excited and I went back through a BBC iPlayer and watched every single episode of Saving Lives at Sea again. Um, and I got myself that excited that I thought I'm going to be really upset now if I don't get this job. <laughs> because I was just so, just so enthralled with it all again. Um, and, uh, you know, luckily um, they, they saw my passion. Uh, and yeah, a, a couple. Of, I had to do a couple of interviews, which was tough. Um, but yeah, my my manager Wendy, bless her, love her. Um, she she picked me, and I was thrilled. And I've I've not looked back. I love it. I love it so much. And it, it it's not hard to be connected to the RNLI. I live in the Midlands, like the driest place in the UK. You know, we have canals but I don't live by any sea. Um, so the patch that I cover is uh, the East Midlands and the Lincolnshire coast. And for the next 12 months, I'm also looking after the project in Wells next to the sea where the um, Prince Philip um, boat will be. Um, so I, that, that's sort of the area that I cover. So I do spend quite a lot of time out and about, but you only have to go and spend five minutes with the crew at the station and you are in love with what they do. I was at Wells a couple of weeks ago and they had a shout while I was there and my heart went into my throat. All the pages went off and it was like, this is it, it's happening. And they all just, it was lovely to see it, but we've got to go, you know, jumped on the, the bikes and, and off because we were just a little bit away from the station um, and off they went. And you have this moment of, are they going to be safe? Will they be okay? I don't want, you know, 
you build those connections with people very, very quickly. Um, and you just fall in love with, with what they do. And, you know, they go, they save people, and then they come back and, and they're an ambassador for what they've done because they are so grateful as well. So, and the other thing is I spend a lot of time in this role working with the volunteers. Um, so my role is more about supporting volunteers to fundraise as opposed to me necessarily doing the, the on-the-ground fundraising. Um, so I spend an awful lot of time uh, chatting to the volunteers and supporting them. And I, oh God, I get to hear their stories. You know, these are volunteers that have been volunteering and supporting for 50, 60 years. Where else do you find that? You know, it's unheard of in the charity sector to have people not, you know, you might have the odd one, but this is, I have hundreds and, and they've been supporting for that long. So it's very, very easy to fall in love with the with the organisation. And especially when the the leadership um, is very, they're very easy to be inspired by. You know, they're doing the right thing. They say, they say the right things, but they follow it up with the right actions. It's not just words. Um, so yeah, I'm absolutely besotted with the organisation, and I, I, I can't. I would shout it from the rooftops if I could. I love it. I'm so happy doing what I do now. literally sitting here beaming because I can tell I can I can we can tell the warmth that's coming off you and the passion and you know you, you feel the job that you do which sounds very cliche but yeah. I think just speaking about the relationships that you build with volunteers or with um, those who are going out on shout sort of that would be be quite interesting to understand how I think I've kind of gathered you probably do a lot of listening and asking the right mm. questions but it would be really great to understand how you build relationships I suppose with with volunteers but also as a fundraiser um, sort of anyone who's listening who is in a similar similar role to you or kind of what skills have you picked up over the years and any sort of tips that you would share with people in terms of kind of how to be a best I suppose supporter carer really is what it fundamentally comes down to you know support yes there's income generation that is super important but people are people they're not digits or data and you know how can we as a sector make sure that the supporter always comes first regardless of the outcome I think the key thing for me is I I always treat people the way either as a volunteer that I'd want to be cared for um, or as a supporter, as the person making the donation. Mm -hmm. And I know that everyone's different. Not everyone's like me, so they might need different things. And I think when you do this job, you pick up on that. You know, you know, I might need to do this a little bit differently. But as a general rule, I am just me. Um, I don't make any apologies for it. Um, I did have a moment when I started at the RNLI and I went to meet one of my volunteers and he'd asked me to meet him somewhere and I got there and it was really, really posh. And I walked in and I've got like a really bright dress on. I've got bright purple hair and my lip piercing. And I walked in and sat there and thought, I think I'm going to have to like tone it down a little bit if this is, you know, if these are the sort of places I'm going to go to. And he came in and he was great. And we got on like a house on fire. 
and we still meet at this really posh place now whenever we whenever we meet up but I never walk in feeling like that anymore because if I can do my job right people won't care what color my hair is that week um you know, it does change weekly but you know they they won't care because they can see that I'm there completely for them and I've been really honest throughout you know any role I've been in where if it's a volunteer I'm speaking to I tell them you know I've volunteered at a variety of, of charities in the last 20 years um, I know the kind of things that you want and need and actually it's to be heard and um, to feel valued and to occasionally get some recognition for, for what you do um, and to be given the resources that you need that's pretty much in a nutshell what a volunteer means um, with a supporter you know somebody that's making that donation they want to be heard they want to be valued they want to occasionally achieve get some recognition and they want to be given the the support and resources that they need it's exactly the same you know it's there's no there's no magic that happens um and i, I just never try to be anything other than than just me um and so far so good you know it's worked and i've, I've worked with people from um, you know, the, the person who works at the the local shop um that collects money in a, in a tub on the side next to the till. Um and I've worked with the directors and chief execs of the biggest um you know companies, some of the biggest companies that are out there. And I've I've done it all the same, you know, I've gone out, I've just been me, I've been honest, I've shared my stories when it's been appropriate. Um and and that's it really I think people just need to um to remember that when they're in these roles they've been given these roles for a reason and it's because of them and their personality and that you know the the lady I was chatting to earlier today that wants to come into the sector um you know she said I, I you know she'd recently been to an interview um and I, I she picked up on her saying that they thought she was very professional um however and they'd given her some other feedback and i said to her you know you're going for a community fundraising role you you absolutely need to go in and, and be professional but you also need to show them that personality because a community fundraiser is the the bubbly one in the office they are the slightly louder one probably in the office um so what i was getting to was just be yourself you know you you absolutely should go into an interview and be professional i went into my interview for the rnli i had to do a presentation so i went in i dressed smarter and slightly less colorful than i do usually but only slightly um but my presentation you know they'd asked me to do a presentation on your first six months at the rnli and i did it in slides with cheesy um uh, nautical themed headings so it was like um riding the waves um joining the crew um getting on board and you know all these really really cheesy things but I, I put it across as I know how cheesy this is but I'm doing it anyway um so I do think you know you've, you have got to be professional but you've also got to show them that um you're human and you, you you're going to be somebody that they enjoy working with and that's whether it's a, a new boss a volunteer a fundraiser um i don't want to it's in the title guys it's fundraising you know we don't want to do boring draising um you know we, we all want to have fun fundraising don't we we want to enjoy it and especially when you're giving 
you know, people, the majority of fundraisers we work with are doing this outside of their normal lives. It's not their day job to raise money for charity. Um, so if they're doing stuff outside of their normal lives, they want it to be enjoyable. So, yeah, just be yourself and just, you know, connect to people, but do it authentically. You know, don't go in and be anything other than who you are and just let people enjoy their, their time with you. Totally. I love that. I've got two phrases. I feel like I've taken away from everything you said, apart from just being totally inspired, Nikki. Uh, it's kind of a, a you do you. So you be yeah. yourself. And then do as you'd like to be done by. That was one of my grandfather's expressions. And I yep. think it's great. I think it's really great. And, you know, that's be authentic. Authenticity is so important um, and not to overthink it either. And I was having a chat with one of my colleagues actually this week and just talking about not, um, not undervaluing yourself. And I think you're exactly right. If you've been offered the opportunity to have an interview or you've been offered a job, you've probably been offered that against quite a lot of other people. But you've been chosen for whichever attributes you have, probably multiple of them, or the potential that somebody sees in you. So I think, you know, it's really important just to, to recognise that. And I know it helps sort of with age and with a bit of experience. But, you know, that we've talked a bit earlier about that sense of imposter syndrome. Yes, everyone, everyone really actually does have it. But it's like, how much can we push it to the side and just recognize that everyone has everyone has a value and everyone should value themselves to to enable others to, to value you as much as as necessary. Absolutely. And like you say, that imposter syndrome is there. It's there with all of us. I haven't met anybody yet that has said to me oh no I fully believe that you know I'm I'm this good you know we all sit there and we all doubt ourselves um but you know I, I did it with with this job I in my head I was thinking oh if they've, if they've asked me to join them the, the the caliber of the applicants must have been awful um and it was you know a few weeks into the surely role. you didn't think that surely not honest to god I think I actually made that comment to my new manager and it was at that point that she turned around and said, like the amount of applicants they had, I think they had about 60 um, and they'd, they'd done two lots of interviews because they, they needed to filter down. And I was quite like shocked. I was like, oh, really? I, I just thought you must have been really desperate. And that's why you took the girl from the Midlands. It's like, well, she lives ages away from the sea, but we'll let her do it anyway. Um, but again, it's, it's imposter syndrome. We, you know, we, we all have it we all don't see the value that we bring to things and you know I sit there thinking you know you, you reached out and asked me to do this and I'm thinking to myself why why do they want to talk to me I Nikki Bell reached out to me and asked about the leadership festival next week mm. and I responded to her and said oh, I really appreciate the offer but I just thought maybe she doesn't realize that I don't have a leadership role so I went back and said I really appreciate it but to probably other people um better for you to speak to do you want me to like send you some suggestions and she just came back and said no I'd, I'd quite like you to speak and I was like <laughs> oh okay um but yeah it is it's it, it you know we we all have it and as much as I think confidence is an act for a lot of people and I know that especially at the beginning of my career that first time I had to stand up and speak in front of a room full of people I was not confident and I had to have a talk with myself and, and what I said to myself was just go there and act confident if you act confident people believe that you're confident and I went up and I was shaking and but people didn't see that because I went up and I acted confident um 
And now, you know, I'm quite comfortable doing lots of things. Like I could sit here and talk to you two all night now. You know, that I'm quite comfortable with. But it's the when people ask me to do certain things, I do feel a bit like, why? What? What is it they think I'm going to say? Or, you know, I, I haven't really got much to say. I'm just a community fundraiser. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's nice to be asked. And I think the more opportunities that people get, the more that confidence will build um, in normal people, not so much me, um, but in normal people, um, I think it does. And and again, you know, the, the lady I was chatting to earlier, you know, I was saying to her, you know, go go and volunteer um, and, and do all these different things and you'll go into your next interview with so much more confidence than perhaps you went into this first one with. So it is, it's about building it up and if it doesn't work, just pretend. <laughs> That's my best advice. Just pretend to be confident and wing it. You'll be fine. Make it till you make it. <laughs> Perhaps we won't realize the title of this podcast. Pretend <laughs> to be confident and wing it. <laughs> <laughs> I also think, Nikki, after this podcast, there'll be hundreds more people reaching out to get your expertise on so many different issues because you've really spoken so well and clearly on a range of topics. And I just wanted to touch on how important is mentoring in making sure that you are able to support other colleagues or people that you see potential in to thrive because they may not see that ability within themselves. But the importance of mentoring can help unlock that potential and provide a good foundation for other colleagues to thrive and I just want to understand because I know that you've done quite a bit of mentoring and support as you've spoken about already and how how, in your experience what have you seen and how have you seen that unlock people's potential? I am a massive ambassador for mentoring I think um, I've been both I've been the mentor I've been the mentee Um, I enjoy doing both um I I'm I'm a bit like a sponge like I want to I just want to sit and be able to ask people things and take it all in and then go away and use what they've told me um so I always assume that other people um are the same so when people reach out to me to ask for help or advice about anything um I will be the first to jump up and say yes because I would hope that when I've reached out and asked um, for the same thing that, you know, people have been very, very good with their time. Um, In fundraising in particular, I think it's important because unless you, um, unless you were able to get certain opportunities, it it can be quite tough to get out into the the big charity world, I suppose. Um, And the, the smaller or perhaps more local charitable organisations um, I do sometimes worry that that people in those situations can be quite restricted to the sort of help and support that they get um, so like I say the uh, coffee with fundraisers with Kevin Delaney um, one of the first um, lunchtime chats I had with with somebody the the girl was a sort of general fundraising manager at an organisation um, we got chatting and she told me the sort of things that actually she felt like she wanted to do and within a couple more conversations I'd directed it to lots of different bits of resource you know resources and help um we'd done some um interview prep 
and she went for another role and she got the other role and she was loving the other role. Um, I think I've helped six or seven people this year to either get a fundraising role or get a promotion. And that to me is the ultimate, um, just being able to see somebody at the beginning when they say, this is what I'm hoping to do and give them bits of advice that really are just, you know, it's stuff floating around in your head and you think this might help. And to be able to give them that and then see where it takes them. It's just such a wonderful thing to be able to see and a, a, a privilege to be part of that journey with people. So for me, being, uh, you know, having people out there that will mentor, you know, we need to be giving people those opportunities because otherwise we're going to remain a charitable sector with all of the same people, all of the same types of people. And we really need to make it more inclusive. We need to bring lots of different people in from all sorts of walks of life. And I think we will only do that if we continue with the mentoring. Um, again, from my point of view, I I probably call certain people mentors that don't even know that they're a mentor to me. So I don't think it needs to be a... Um, a, a, you know a, a serious commitment that you've made that you are now mentoring mentee um you know I've had I've got people that I would call a mentor that I chat to and they like I say probably don't even realize that I would at them in that way but without those people I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today um you know last year when I was in this period of feeling conflicted about staying with an organisation that I love, but in a role that I don't love so much. Um, I, I spoke to an awful lot of people around that time. People, not we didn't set things up to, for it to become a conversation about me and my development, but, for example, um, Paul Knott, who um, is a, works in a, in a recruitment, um, he came onto furlough fundraisers chat and did a session helping people on writing CV skills um, and interview skills. He came on with Polly Simonson from Polly Simonson Recruitment. And just in general conversation with, um, with them and me being able to ask them questions and getting their expertise, it gave me confidence to think, actually, this is what I should be expecting of a job and that's not what I'm getting right now. You know, but it allowed me to take the emotion away from it a little bit and, and have that outsider come in and say this is what should should be you should be accepting from a job um so for me without them coming in and doing that I probably would have stayed in this emotional state of oh I don't know what I want and again um I had some uh, coaching from Caroline Duran um amazing amazing coach and it, it, you know, I, I spent some time with her, and she really, really helped me. She was a coach, but I would, I look at Caroline as, as a mentor. You know, it's it's that word. I think people can be frightened by because if someone reached out to me and said, "Would you like to be a mentor?" I would have the same reaction as we've had about other things. Why would they want me to mentor them? Oh, of course, I don't want to be a mentor. But having a lunchtime chat with somebody and them asking my advice and giving it to them. I'm essentially doing the same thing, but I don't like the seriousness of the name. Um, so, yeah, I think we need that. We need people to step up and be mentors, even without the um, the commitment of saying that this is what we are and what we do. We need more people that will give up 
a lunch break to chat to somebody if it'll help them because otherwise we are going to remain a very you know a very steamy kind of sector um that we need to we need to move away from we've got some fantastic fundraisers in this sector and i certainly aren't saying that we, we shouldn't have them but for us to evolve and to continue doing amazing things and for us to be getting out there that fundraising is a career and not just this thing that you fall into um we will only do that by being the mentors and by you know bringing other people in and, and just making it so much more inclusive which it isn't at the moment that was a really long answer to a very simple question i'm sorry no that was that was a perfect answer passionately about. <laughs> that was the perfect answer because mentoring enable us to have a more equitable and more diverse and more inclusive fundraising sector and charity sector at large because i think that goes to the heart of it it's about seeing potential in others who don't see potential in themselves for whatever reason and i think it's an act of courage from both the mentors part and the mentees part to support one another on that journey just to stand up in a group full of professionals and saying i don't know the answer to this i need some help is one of the most courageous things you can do and often you can get far further in life and in your role and in your career if you point that out and say i actually don't know can somebody who doesn't help me along the way and i think as a sector we should take advantage of that because there's great people like you Nikki and you Veronica who are so open with your time and so let's use that to our advantage so yeah. i would just encourage anyone listening who feels that they might not be in the role that they want to be um, and they see somebody who they see as a role model in another role that perhaps they do want to just to reach out to them send them that message send them that email and just have a chat because that's the only way you'll know if if it's right for you as well absolutely and i you you touched on there about the asking for help um, I, I discussed this quite briefly in the, the session on Tuesday at the leadership conference, but um, we, you know, when we talk about trusting each other, asking for help, actually, um, it makes somebody automatically trust you. Um, it's, it's something, it's, a, it's a, a scientific thing. When we, reach, when we reach out and say to people, I need help, you automatically show your vulnerability and show that um, you're, you're ready to create a trusted relationship. So no one is going to look at you for asking for help and go, mm, I don't want to help that person. You know, you're asking and, you know, you are pretty likely to get a, a really positive response by asking um, for that help. I've had to do it and it is a vulnerable thing to do. You know, I've been, I've gone on Twitter and, and just put a call out and said, I would really like to offer some support to their fellow fundraisers. We've got a lot of people who've been made redundant. I want to offer them support to help people get jobs. I don't know how. You know, I am literally just a community fundraiser that pressed a button on a group um, in, in April 2020. I want to provide these things, but I don't have the knowledge to do this. Is there anyone that can help? And I was inundated with support and offers. And this was people giving up their time and their expertise, stuff they would usually get paid for. Um, they came and did for free. And, and this wasn't one or two. You know, I, I in the end, I had to like stand people down, um, which is a very tough thing to do as a fundraiser. We like to take everything. Um, so, yeah, it was it was tough to do. But people are there and they and they want to help and they want to support um and i would absolutely encourage people to reach out you know you you are unlikely in this sector to have someone turn around and say how dare you ask me for help 
please don't ever do that again. Um, you know, we're not we're not a, a, a community of people that, that do that. We know that we need help from people to achieve our goals, um, whether it be fundraising, whether it be learning. Um, so we automatically, I think, you know, treat people in the same way. Um, but what, one thing I would say, you know, if there is anybody out there that wants um, wants to learn something, wants to have an opportunity to, um, you know, get out of their comfort zone and, and things like that. As I said earlier, you know, we're at the IOF, um, CIOF, I keep forgetting it's CIOF now, at the CIOF. Um, the West Midlands and East Midlands committees have come together and we're doing a conference together. And I would love um, for people to to get in touch and say, I would really like to come along and speak on this topic, whatever it might be. Um, I, I would love to have people come and speak at that conference that don't really get the opportunity. You know, people that for every reason feel that they either aren't asked or um, feel that they wouldn't normally put themselves forward, you know, be brave, reach out, um, ask us, you know, tell us what it is that you want to come and talk about because we would love to, to hear from people and it, it doesn't matter to, to us from what walk of life you are. We, if you've got something to say, um, we, we want to hear about it. So I would really encourage people to contact me about that as well. going to be a fabulous conference and the, the content is going to be so diverse so inclusive um I'll, I'll certainly I'm be coming so. sorry I'm, Nikki? I'm, I'm really hoping so you know that's what we're going for we don't want this to be yet another fundraising conference where you hear from the same people um I want people to come and show us how they're doing things at, at their charity whether it be a a charity that raises fifty thousand pounds a year, or a charity that raises fifty million pounds a year. Um, you know, we we want to hear from from people because the people attending aren't all people that work for huge charities, um, and they aren't all people that work for tiny charities. There's a real mix of people, especially in the Midlands, we're a right mixed bunch. Um, mm -hmm. but, you know, we we want the the people speaking to reflect the audience um so yeah i would really encourage people to get in touch and, and speak to us about that i think that kind of goes back to talking about you know when we're talking about fundraising we're talking about individuals and we're talking about supporters and fundraisers we're again talking about individuals and humans and regardless if, if you're in a, a large charity or a small charity or a sole fundraiser you're kind of one cog in a mix of lots of fundraisers everyone can learn from each other and I think that's what you've demonstrated really really succinctly with being a mentor being a mentee just just offering to help uh, I'm slightly concerned about your time in the near future Nikki because you're going to be um, asked to become a recruiter so you're going to have I'm sure inbox requests to become an HR consultant uh, likewise you will be a mentor I'm sure uh, or you're going to be so fueled on coffee you won't be able to sleep and therefore not be able to do your job properly uh, but I can also imagine that wouldn't happen at all so you sound very 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 generous with your time and expertise but I think I think that's what also makes the sector so special and working in the sector so special um, is the people aren't just cause driven but everyone is driven by their own purpose and their wants to help and at the end of the day why why do you work for a charity you work for a charity or within the sector 
because you want to help and because you want to make a difference and actually make a change to to the world so um you've totally it and and you know you must see that in the work that you do you know this is people that are um not working in the charity sector but actually want to be able to um have an impact on things through what they do um so you know i'm guessing you see it from from both sides you know you you work with us in the charity world um but then you also work with a lot of people that don't know anything about the charity world um and you connect the two so you know there's there's that thing in us isn't there that we want to be able to make a difference even if we work in a role that you don't feel you know you don't perhaps get that job satisfaction from um it's how can you create that job satisfaction and and a lot of people that go through work for god will will be doing that in that way um yeah, yeah it's just we're just human that's what we want isn't it we want to be able to um feel good at the end of the day and this i always say this when people uh, i've heard people say before i met this person and i'm sure the only reason they want to donate is so it makes them feel good and i'm like oh heaven forbid <laughs> they should feel good about making a donation you know that's great if we we're helping them to feel good um you know it's it's got to be a, a two-way process no matter what we do and again with me yeah I, I love helping people to get into the sector progress through the sector it, but it's not all, all completely selfless I get a lot out of that you know by helping people to do that it makes me feel great I I leave you know these meetings and I'll go bouncing to my husband now just like oh I've just done this podcast and it was great and I'll tell him all about it and he just looks at me as I say okay and like that's me <laughs> on the head um but that you know that I I get you know you're you're thanking me and saying thank you for, for the time I, I get probably a lot more out of this than you do um Ooh, so, yeah. debatable I reckon but we we can compete <laughs> on that one we can compete on that one definitely we we love to end with one final question Nikki it's just to get a sense of where you see the sector and where you see the sector going and what can be done to improve it or to develop it. What's one thing that you absolutely love about the sector? And the second question is, what's one thing that you would do differently or change about the sector? The, let's start positive. Um, what I love about the sector is exactly what we just talked about, just the people and um I don't know if there's any other sector that is so quick to work together. We we are a collaborative bunch of people. Um, we, you know, there there is very little competition um, in my experience. You know, when there's been opportunities for charities to share or work together, we've taken them and we've enjoyed it. So I, I just love the sector for that reason. The the fact that it is a very caring and generous place. You only have to go on to fundraising chat family fundraisers chat places like that where um someone can go with a question and um get answers from people without them thinking well i don't want to tell them that in case they take some of my fundraising away from me um you know people are are very quick to share their successes and share what went well so that hopefully it can work for others as well so that is what i i love Um, what i would do differently Oh, we've had a we've had a tough year or so, haven't we, in the charity world? I think. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, I really don't like about the charity world is the um, 
I'm just going to say it, the, you know, last year, everything that happened um, around, you know, the IOF at the time, um, there are a lot of uh, people out there that have had not good experiences. And I think sometimes in the charity world, it depends kind of where you are on the food chain as to how you um how you're treated, how you're believed, shall we say. Um, and I know that's probably quite a controversial thing to say, but I would like to see more action from certain um, organizations. When things happen and it's not right, I would like to I would like people to stand up and go, this wasn't good enough. Um, and I think sometimes charities are so worried or, or you know charities organizations groups of people whatever it might be I think we worry so much about um the potential impact on said organization that we 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 just need to be honest we just need to be honest and say this wasn't good enough um I would like to see more of that moving forward and I think we're at risk if we don't start doing that we're at risk of losing great fundraisers from this sector we're at risk of people saying, I don't want to be involved in that anymore. And that would be really sad, actually, because we, we're already an underrepresented um, you know, sector as it is. And I think it would be really sad for us to lose fundraisers because of that reason. So I would like us to change that. I would like us to go out and show people that we're, we're a sector that takes responsibility for our actions, um, show people that we, you know, we will do whatever we can to support fundraisers, give them the tools they need to be great fundraisers. You know, we fought hard to become a chartered institute of fundraising. Um, so, you know, let's let's continue fighting and showing people that it's a great thing to have and getting more people engaged um, with that instead of less. Um, so, yeah, that would be what I would like to change. I'd like I'd, I'd like to see more action and less you know, not taking responsibility for, for things that haven't been great. Thank you so much for sharing and being so open with us. And we've you've touched on so many different topics today about where you see the sector and how we can actually support one another a lot more and how we can move forward together as a sector to be more equal, more diverse and more inclusive yeah. to the end point of helping our beneficiaries and those that we support. And we can only do that if every single one of us is supported valued and respected in our respective organizations oh absolutely my pleasure i you know i, I told you at the beginning you know, i can talk about fundraising all day long um so yeah it's been it's been my pleasure to to sit and chat with um two people that are as passionate about fundraising as i am i could do this with my husband and he just looks at me blankly so it's really nice having people look back at me and, and nodding it's great <laughs> Well, we've certainly been nodding and smiling through pretty much all of this, Nikki. Thank you so much for your time and your insight and your enthusiasm. And going to be honest, probably from the sector, thank you for everything you've done as well. I think that's really important. You've 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 made a huge difference, and you know that's that's me saying this from the outside. I, I don't work alongside you every day can't imagine how wonderful that would be so um yeah thank you and, and well done and congratulations on your new role and congratulations on helping six or seven other people get new roles this year as well that's huge it's celebrations that need to be had so yeah thank you for all your time 
Thank you very, very much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. And I hope you thoroughly enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. It was inspiring to hear Nikki's personal journey, which led her into a career within fundraising and how she has not only thrived raising millions of pounds for charities, but how she has supported and encouraged others along the way. Thanks, Nikki, for sharing your insights with us today. This episode has been brought to you by a platinum sponsor, Work For Good. And to find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. I'd also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Aksumit for our website, which you can check out at charitychat.org.uk, and Forrester Falls, who have been playing throughout and are playing us out now. Bye.